we see them in the Gospel of Mark. Now, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four Gospels, but we're looking at this most concise and most sequential of Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. Sixteen chapters, you can read it very, very quickly and just within the span of one hour, but we are seeing some powerful truths, and I trust and I believe that God has been speaking to some of you in unique ways as we've drilled down on some of these verses and the Lord speaks to us. I love the Word of God. I am grateful for the Word of God. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to us. And every time you go into on your own or every time that we go into the Word of God, He speaks to us. There is nothing that I could ever say. There is nothing that no other person could ever say that will compare to what God speaks to us from His Word. I believe that He blesses us and He speaks to us and He reveals more of Himself to us as we diligently and carefully look at His Word. So you're there in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14, reads this way. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, imagine this in your mind, all of the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him, and they greeted him. Just pause there for a moment. We'll read on here in a moment, but let me just talk about this, these two verses here. The Bible here says that Jesus and three of his disciples, because we know what happened before, Jesus and three of his disciples had just had an amazing experience on top of a mountain. We refer to that experience as the transfiguration. The Bible says that Jesus was physically altered. There were a couple of people from their past who God dispatched, who showed up to speak to Jesus about his own death, Moses and Elijah. The disciples were there. They had observed all of this. Then suddenly, those Two personages from the past disappeared, and God spoke out of heaven, and then they all came off the mountain. They came off the mountain, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Jesus, with three of his disciples, came off the mountain, and this is what they find. They were rejoining the other disciples who were surrounded by a crowd, and it was quite apparent, maybe they heard it first, I don't know if they heard it or saw it first, but it's quite apparent there was an argument that was taking place. It was in full swing. You know, I don't know about you, but if I ever hear, maybe you've experienced this, you're at a store, you're in a public place, and you hear someone arguing, you know what, I, I tend to stay away from that. If that's happening in aisle B, I'm going right to aisle C. I'm not going to go there. We don't necessarily like arguments, but here Jesus, Peter, James, and John come upon, and there's an argument, it says, taking place. Must have been an interesting thing to see and hear upon their arrival. What's happening? Verse 16, and Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Let me pause there. 
what we have before us, this, this true event, this true story, this occasion here in the life and in the ministry of Jesus Christ has a great deal to do with power. It has a great deal to do with power. Now, you'll not find that, that particular word any place in this text. But if you look at it, step back and look at it, it really has a great deal to do with power. And right away, one of the first things that we see in this text that we just read is we see Satan's power on display. Here was a boy. Again, imagine this in your mind. Here's this boy. We don't know his exact age, but it doesn't say young man or man, so he's perhaps a teenager, maybe a little bit younger than that. Here's this boy who was in physical and mental and spiritual agony because a demonic spirit held him captive. And not only that, it was, it was also a silent agony because it says here, or it, we just read in the text, that, uh, the, that it caused him to be mute. And so you can imagine this scene. I think, uh, I think a brief explanation is in order. Not every seizure is the result of demonic activity. Most seizures are physical or neurological in nature. I was speaking with someone just last week who, who uh, just, in, just in recent weeks, a family member had a seizure. It was because there was something wrong uh, physiologically. It, it wasn't demonic. That's not it at all. Most are physical or neurological in nature. But this boy's seizures, this boy's seizures were were not based upon something physically wrong, although it had a, had a physical manifestation, but there was a spiritual problem. This was a spiritual attack, and when the, the demon would manifest itself within this person, this was, this was what was apparent. Now, I, have to, I have to tell you that as I imagine this scene in my mind and really understand what's happening in the whole context of this story, I find this event or this occasion rather disturbing. I find it disturbing, not just because of the physical manifestations, but because I don't like seeing anyone in absolute bondage to Satan. I don't like that. I, I, I have to say this, I, I see it all the time. Oh, maybe not these manifestations, but... But, but I see people who are in bondage to Satan all the time. And I look at this, I look at this, this account, and, and it reminds me as I'm looking at the big picture here, standing back for a moment, not going too deep, but just looking at this whole account, I'm reminded that Satan's power is very real. And, and I also am reminded that his, his power is destructive power. Remember, I, I mentioned a few moments ago that this is a story about, about power. On another occasion in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus is speaking there as well, different occasion. And Jesus said, Satan, his objectives are very clear. He said, Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, that's an interesting thing. In fact, I, I, I want you to hear that again because I want you to understand his, his method of operation. Satan's objective, not only for this young man or this family, 
But his objective for every person here, do you know that God has a plan for your life, but so does Satan? And Satan's plan for your life is to kill and to steal and to destroy. He wants to kill something in your life. He may want to kill a dream. He may want to to kill a calling. He may want to kill a gifting. He may want to steal away your joy. He may, again, he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He may want to steal away your promise. He may want to steal away your future. He may want to steal away your victories from the past, and he wants to destroy. Satan has a desire for you. He wants to destroy your mind. He wants to destroy your your body. And ultimately, he wants to destroy your spirit. He wants you in hell with him. Now, there's a lot of theology there that I could go into, but I simply want to make that very clear. And this is on display here. Satan's power is very real. There's not a day that goes by. There's not a day that goes by that we don't hear or see some destructive effect of Satan's power. If you think this is, this is the only way that it's going to happen is, is a, a physical manifestation on a young boy, no, it's, it, I, we see it all the time. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say you watch the news. And, and while there may be a lot of factors in it, there are many things that we read about, hear about, or see whose basis is not in culture or because they were a victim or because uh, the, the economic environment in which they found themselves had a large contributing factor. But rather, there are many things that happen in our world today whose basis is in a spiritual attack from Satan. Satan is alive and he's well and he operates among us. Now, I'm not giving any glory to Satan. I'm going to come back to this in a moment here. I'm not giving any glory to him. I'm simply stating a fact that Satan is very real and his power is very real. And and foolish is the person who, who dismisses that Satan has any power. He is extremely powerful. In comparison to God's power, it's almost inconsequential. It's like we sang this morning. There's, there's one of the lines, it's like holding a candle against the sun. Well, one is so... Small, God's is so infinite, but he's powerful. Satan is powerful. We see his destructive effects around us all the time. So while, while Satan's power must not be our focus, his power is real. Satan still steals and kills and destroys, and he wants to do that in you. He wants to do that in your family. He wants to do it in your marriage. Satan wants to destroy your mind, and he wants to destroy your body and he ultimately wants to destroy your spirit. Satan is very real. Well, this text here, we've kind of paused for a moment while his power was on display in a very apparent way here. While his power was on display, I want you to also notice that people's lack of power was also on display. It says here the the boy's father, it says here the boy's father, his He's speaking here. The boy's father was there that day, and, and he certainly loved his son. I, 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 like a lot of stories in the Bible, I wish, that, I wish that we knew something more. I wish we knew something more uh, about this, more of their history. 
But this father certainly loved his son. There's probably a mother someplace as well. There certainly had been a mother at one point, but I'm sure she loved her son as well. Often when one parent goes through something, their, their husband or their wife goes through it as well. But the father was here this day. He loved his son. And I'm going to imply something that he had certainly done everything he could to help his son. The, the development of, of, of any kind of counseling was pretty rudimentary, I'm sure, at the time. But they, they probably did that. They went to the, the doctors that they could. Uh, his, his father did everything. Maybe they brought in some people to speak with him or to trying to determine something. I'm sure the father had done everything he could to help his son because that's what parents do, right? That's what parents do. Whatever, whatever it's going to take to fix my child. Some of you have been there. Whatever it's going to take to fix my child. But he simply could not break Satan's power. Try as he might, he could not fix his boy. You ever been there, mom or dad? You ever been there? You look at your son, your daughter, they may be an infant, they may be a young child, a teenager, fully grown. But you ever look at your child and you go, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I've done everything I can. I've sought out everybody who I thought could help, but I can't fix it. All the love that I have for my child, I can't fix my child. The father's powerless. He's done everything he can, but he can't do it. Maybe you can relate. Of course, we know that the disciples were there. Remember, Jesus and three of the disciples came off the mountain. They rejoined the other nine disciples who did not go to the top of the mountain. So the disciples, all of them now, were there. On other occasions, we know from earlier in the Gospel of Mark and other Gospels, we know that Jesus had sent out his disciples in groups of two, along with a number of other people. He had given them authority over demonic spirits, and the Bible says that previous to this, the disciples had gone out and demons had come out of people in the name of Jesus as the disciples prayed over them. So we know that that has happened before, but even they were able to, unable rather, to help this, this boy. They, they couldn't do anything. For some reason that they couldn't understand, what had worked before wasn't working now. What they did before when they encountered a, a, a person who was, who was demon-possessed, what they did then wasn't working now, and, and they're perplexed. They're scratching their heads, and they're, they're almost beside themselves trying to figure out what's going wrong. So they're powerless. Have you been there? Have you, as a follower of Jesus, regardless of how long you've been serving him, have you come to a point, or as you have followed him, Jesus leads you to certain places? By the way, the disciples wouldn't be here had Jesus not been leading them to these different places. Maybe you found yourself in a somewhat similar situation. Because you're following him, because you're following him, he leads you to some need or some person, or perhaps some task, 
that is beyond anything that you've ever encountered. And like those disciples, you don't know what to do. <laughs> Lord, why have you led me to this person? I can't help them. Lord, why have you given me this task? This is beyond me. This is beyond my experience. This need that you have presented before me, I don't understand why. And I don't know what to do. I don't know about you, but there have been so many times in my life as I've followed Jesus, not in disobedience, but in obedience, where he's led me to places and I'm going, God, I don't know what to do. I can't tell you the number of times where I've been talking with people and they're sharing something that is so beyond my experience and I've got my, you know, I'm listening, but in my mind I'm going, help me, Jesus, and help me now. I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know how to answer this. Maybe you kind of feel like those disciples did that day. The Bible says, we're not getting very far in this, but the, the Bible says the scribes were there as well. The scribes were there. Let me explain. The scribes were teachers of Jewish laws. They were the experts. But they were also powerless to help the boy. Now, they knew the Mosaic Law. They knew uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy almost by heart. These people were the go-to guys as far as information about Jewish law. They knew everything there was to know. They were the experts, but they were powerless to help the boy. In fact, the only thing it records them doing was arguing. See that up in verse 14. They were arguing. That's what they were doing. Now, I, this, this too, again, really bothers me. This bothers me because here, here are these scribes, these experts of the law. There's a child that is in absolute horrible bondage. Everyone around can see it. There's a father who was absolutely brokenhearted. There are disciples who are perplexed. And these so-called leaders were sitting around arguing. It makes you want to reach back in time and just slap them. Really? All these needs that are happening, and what are you doing? You're arguing? Really? That's what you're going to do? You're going to argue? Now, I have to say that 2,000 years have passed, but this still happens. This still happens. The harsh and the destructive effects of Satan's power are all around us. We see it every time. I'll tell you, I, I, I can promise you this, between now and this time tomorrow, you are going to see some kind of effect, destructive effect of Satan's power. It's probably going to be in a person. Oh, it may be a thing, but you're going to see it on someone, and you're going to go, and the Holy Spirit's going to bring it back, and you're going to go, oh yeah, right there, that's an example. We see it all the time. The destructive effects of Satan's power. We see it all around us. We see it in countless places. We see it in countless lives. But what's happening? Think about what's happening in our world right now. People are pointing fingers at one another. They're arguing about what the causes, that what, what causes the breakdown in people's minds. Something happens in the news and they go, oh, ah, look at that. This, this is the cause of that. There are people who point and say, well, that's the reason that 
this person's body is affected, or, or this is the reason they're pointing their fingers at, this is the reason that the marriage fails or the family breaks and flies apart. This is the reason why communities are, are hurting so much and going through so much turmoil. And there's a lot of people arguing. There are experts who are proposing what we should do about this or what we should do about that. They're saying, well, more education. I'm not anti-education. We need education, but, but, but that's not going to be. But they say, that's the answer, just more education or better jobs. And I'm for better jobs, but, but many will say, well, that's, that's the real problem. That's the cause. That's the real root problem. More money, that's what we need. Just throw some more money at it and, and we'll, an infusion of cash, and that will fix it. And a lot of people argue and say that's it, or more control of one kind or another. But listen to me. While the experts continue to argue, the victims of Satan's power are still writhing in agony and locked ever tighter in spiritual bondage. Think about this. We have so many people that are saying, that's the problem, that's the problem, and they're sitting around basically arguing and saying, and in the meantime, people are still in wretched, wretched bondage. We see this. Pointing fingers at causes, but who's got a solution? Verse shows us Satan's power. But it also highlights the lack of power in the people who were present. A loving father couldn't help. Committed disciples couldn't help. The experts in the law couldn't help. In the meantime, the kid is still in absolute bondage. What was needed was someone who could break the power of Satan and heal the destructive effects of Satan. Say that again. Think about this situation. You come upon this. You're one of the crowd, and you're looking around, and you're going, wow. What was needed was someone who could break the power of Satan and heal the destructive effects of Satan. Verse 19 reads this way. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. There's a lot there that I could comment on, but... But I draw your attention to that last line, bring him to me. You know, what, 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 what the boy, what the, I, don't, I don't even know that he was in a place cognitively where he could understand it, but what the father certainly didn't know is that something great was about to happen. Bring him to me. You see it there? Bring him to me. Jesus said, bring him to me. I want you to get that in your spirit. Jesus said, bring him to me. When you read through the Gospel of Mark, or when you read through any of the Gospels, the other Gospels, whenever someone was brought before Jesus, something amazing was about to happen every time. <laughs> Here's this guy who's crippled. He can't. He can't do anything on his own to feed and his friends bring him. Something great is about to happen. Here's a person with an incurable skin disease called leprosy that not only affected the body, but also affected them in society. And, and they bring a, and a leper comes to him and something great is about to happen because Jesus is there. Every time someone is brought to Jesus, 
their lives are changed. Let me say that again. Every time someone is brought to Jesus, their lives are changed. Every time. You read through the Gospels. He healed and he delivered and he resurrected and he comforted and he forgave and he restored. Every time, read through the Gospels, every time someone brought someone to him, they left different people. And here's the even the best news, I think. He still does. That line, bring him to me, is a charge to every one of his followers today. Bring people to Jesus. What, what do they need? They don't, it's, it's not a matter of, of just a better job. I golf for good jobs, but that, that isn't going to fix it. Not at the deep core level where the enemy has, has reigned and ruled. No, that's not what's going to fix it. Give them a greater education. I'm all for education. We need good education. But, 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 but if we think that we can educate them out of evil, we're wrong. But if we bring people to Jesus, then Jesus can fundamentally, at their core, change them. Verse 20. Oh, this is where it's good. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, that is the demon within the boy, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Let me add one more thing before we get to the best part. Often, before Jesus heals or delivers or resurrects or comforts or forgives or restores, Satan will not be passive, but will often become highly aggressive. I want you to see that here in this text. Jesus is about to do a great thing, but Satan isn't going to go quietly. He's going to make a scene. He's going to make one more attempt to, to hold on to this. And so this demon manifests, in part because it's in the presence of Jesus. There are some of you that God has and will, going forward, use you in bringing about the deliverance in another person through the power of God. But I warn you that when you encounter the enemy, the enemy will not always go, oh, 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 the Christian's here. I think I'll just leave. It's not going to be that easy. Some of you have encountered or are encountering some situations right now that are absolute spiritual warfare, and you're wondering, why is it so hard right now? And I'm telling you that one of the reasons it's hard right now is in part because victory is just ahead. We see this here. Verse 21, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe Help my unbelief. That's a powerful line. We'll look at that another time. Next verse, it says, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, 
and he arose. I got one amen. Let me just read, let me read that last line again. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. I love the end of that boy's story. That's the last. That's not the end of his story because he went on from here. Someday we'll find out the end, the rest of his story. But the end of his story is recorded here in Mark nine. I love the end of his story is recorded right here. It says Jesus lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus lifted him up, and he arose. I need your help on something. How many here this morning has Jesus lifted up and set you free from something? Come on. Yeah. Some of you, that hasn't happened. Let me, I'll give you one more chance. Huh? Really, and don't raise your hand if it hasn't, but, but, but really, I, 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 want, I, want, I want you to declare it as an, as an, as an objective of, of thanks to Him. How many here, how many here has Jesus lifted up and He set you free from something? Hallelujah. How many of you have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life? How many of you have have seen the destruction of Satan in your life and you've also seen the destruction, excuse me, the restoration of Jesus in your life? How many of you have 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 experienced the wretchedness, it, it, it initially the delight and the and the attraction of of the bondage of sin, but then you've seen the the transformation that happens when you follow him? When you surrender, you've seen that. You've ex- so many here have experienced that. Again, this account demonstrates the harsh limitation of people's power to transform a life. With love alone, and I'm grateful for a parent's love, there are few things in this world quite so powerful, in this world quite so powerful as a parent's love, and I'm grateful for that. But love alone, with love alone, fathers and mothers cannot defeat the power of Satan. With all of their experience and training, experts and educators cannot defeat the power of Satan. Even followers of Jesus Christ in their own strength cannot defeat the power of Satan. Jesus alone can defeat the power of Satan. When you look at at Mark chapter 9, I don't want you to look at this and go, great story. I want you to look at that and say it can happen again. That Jesus and Jesus alone can defeat the work of the enemy. Some of you are, are right there. You're, you're, you're faced with something, and you're going, I'm beside myself. I don't know what to do. I, I, I can't figure it out. I can't, I can't network it out. I, 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 can't, I can't manipulate it out. I, I, I can't, I can't uh, understand it. I, I've had friends try. I've had everyone try, but I just, I'm at an impasse, and I don't know what to do. I want this to speak to your spirit and say, but die, we have a Savior who can. He's big enough. <laughs> He's more than big enough. Now, there's one more thing that I want us to see. I want us to see this because you have to understand that Jesus had a greater plan beyond the deliverance of just one person. He wanted to teach his disciples. Look at verse 28. And when Jesus, now the, the boy is off the scene, the father's off the scene. It says, and when Jesus had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, 
why, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, why, why, why is that there? Why not just finish it up with the verse 27, call it good, everybody goes home and lives happily ever after. Why, why, why include verse 28? Why is that a part of this, the record of this, of this uh, occasion? Well, you, you have to understand, Jesus knew his time with the disciples was limited. Jesus knew that in about, I don't know if he was at that time fully aware of the whole time frame, but he knew that his time was coming up. The Lord had revealed it to him. He knows that, that, that he's going to be crucified, he's going to be, and he's going to die, and he's going to be buried, and then he's going to be resurrected. He knows that at some point beyond that, he's going to ascend into heaven. Jesus knows that his time physically with them is very limited, that he would soon leave them. And he wanted them to understand the power of prayer. I could preach an entire message just on this one verse. But he wanted them to understand the power of prayer. This story is not simply there to give an example of the power of God, though it gives a wonderful example of the power of Jesus Christ to set people free, but it's also a, a lesson to each one of us that we also have a part. Now, earlier I mentioned that, 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 that believers in themselves are powerless, but, but, but my friends, here's the good news. Jesus in us, Jesus working through us by His Holy Spirit, we are powerful in Him. Jesus said, on another occasion, Jesus said, greater things will you do than I have done. And he goes on to tell them because he was going to send his Holy Spirit. Less than a year later, on a day that they called Pentecost, we call it the day of Pentecost, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit. Not to give them simply an experience or a great memory, but to give them power to do what Jesus called them to do. It's not long before that, at his ascension, Jesus said, these things you're going to do. And among them, he said, you are going to, in my name, cast out demons. But to do that, they would need the power of God. And Jesus here is telling them to do that you need the power of prayer. Not just reactively, but proactively. Through this, Jesus was saying, you are going to encounter things. You are going to encounter events. You're going to encounter people in bondage, in such bondage that you'd better be prayed up when you encounter it. Not just leave them there and say, you just writhe for a little bit longer, I'm going to go and pray for a couple of days. Just stay in bondage there for a while, I'm going to go and pray for a while. But rather he's telling them, this kind, there are certain things that you will encounter, I'm paraphrasing, there are certain things you're going to encounter, you need the power of prayer and you better be prayed up ahead of time rather than just re reactively, but proactively. So here's the very simple message to us. Are, 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 are you in a place as a follower of Jesus Christ so that 
you, not them, because they're, they're all dead and gone. They're all in heaven, all these disciples. Are you into a place right now so where, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not only in his word, and we have to have his word in us, but you're also in prayer, that you're also filled with the Spirit so that you have the ability to intercede in the Spirit. So that when you come against spiritual things, you have the power, not of yourself, because you and I are incredibly limited, but you have the power in yourself to come what may. You can speak to that devilish thing and say, come out in Jesus' name, and they must come because you're prayed up. How important is prayer in your life? Is it something that is just done well? Let's pray for the meal. Let's, let's, let's pray for the day. Is it, is it something that is very reactive, like, oh, we got a big problem now, we'd better pray, and that's when we pray and we cry out to God? Or is it a part of your life where I say, I'm, I'm going to set some things aside. I'm going to set some things aside, and, and I'm going to seek God because He wants to use me. Because there are people around me who are in deep bondage, but I have a Savior. There are people around me that are hurting, but I'm going to bring them to Jesus, and Jesus is going to set them free. And he's going to use me in the process. Are you there? Jesus said, pray. Pray. I challenge every one of you, and I challenge myself. Oh, Lord, may we be people of prayer who pray more than for just the basics, who pray for more than just me and my husband or wife or me and my children or my grandchildren. We, that, we, that we expand that so that we begin to pray. It's been said that before we, before we go to people about God, we often have to go to God about the people. Before we bring them to Jesus, before we bring them so they hear the message, before we bring them to that point of prayer, before we bring them to that point of decision, the Holy Spirit's, of course, working. But before we do that, we first bring them to Jesus in prayer. Who's God placed on your heart? Who's God placed in your path? He's calling you to pray for them. It may be days, weeks, months before you bring them to Jesus. But right now you're bringing them to Jesus in prayer. I look around this morning, and again, I'm not, I'm definitely not going to identify anyone now, but there are many of you that were prayed into the kingdom of God. Because somebody prayed, somebody interceded, somebody brought you before the Lord in prayer, and eventually you came to Him, and the bondage was broken. God's going to use you. This morning, we're going to close, and, and, uh, uh, I'm, I want to pray over you. I want to pray that the things that we've just read will be lived out in every one of our lives. I want to pray that you will encounter people who are in absolute bondage so that when you see them, you will know Jesus is the only one who can heal them and set them free. I want to pray that. I'd like you to stand with me, would you please? around this sanctuary, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I would like you to do this. I would like, I would like you to agree with me in prayer.
Would you, would you just, would you just come into a, into a, a physical posture of prayer? The Bible says that when they prayed, they would lift up their hands. Would you, in, in such a receptive way, such a, as if almost receiving from the Lord, just, just put your hands up and just say, Oh Lord, I, I give myself to you. I am your servant. I thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. I thank you, Lord, that at one point in my past, maybe weeks ago or months or years ago, I surrendered my life to you and you came in and you began to restore me. You're still working on me. I thank you for that. But Jesus, I pray that these hands that I have extended to you would be your hands extended to this world. I pray that you would use me in praying for others. That you would use me as a man or as a woman of prayer to bring people to you in prayer before I bring them to you. Lord, I can't do anything. I am so powerless. I'm a lot like those disciples back then. I We encounter things. We just don't know what to do, but But Lord, we're going to seek you and you're going to give us the answer. We're going to seek you in prayer and you're going to help us. We're going to seek you in prayer, Lord. We may not even know what the problem is, but because we've been seeking you in prayer, when the problem comes, we'll have an answer. May we be people of your word. May we be people of prayer. You made this very clear to disciples then. Would you make it clear to disciples today? By your Holy Spirit, Lord, empower these people. And I also pray this, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, they may have been serving you for many years, but fill them with your Holy Spirit. May it be evidence, Lord. May they know that you filled them to overflowing because they pray in tongues. It's not something that you gave to just a few. You gave it to every follower, Lord. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Empower them with your Holy Spirit. May they be people of prayer. Tools in your hand to reach others. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, take these hands, these feet, these hearts, and as we encounter people in these days ahead, use us for your glory. We're surrounded by lost people. We encounter them every day. We're surrounded by people who we see the effects of Satan's power in them. But Jesus, use me. Use us. We see the power of Satan broken. The kingdom of God expanded. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. God bless you and go in the presence and the power, power of Jesus Christ.